So we are so excited to have in our studio today our friend, Dr. Lauren Stryker from Northwestern. We're going to talk a little bit about health and politics. But first of all, I know you have kind of a plethora of titles. Tell me every <laughs> tell me everything that you are. Well, I do wear a lot of hats, yeah. which is what makes my life kind of fun and interesting. First of all, of course, I am an associate professor of clinical obstetrics and gynecology at the Feinberg School of Medicine here in Chicago at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. I'm also very excited that I'm the medical director of the soon-to-open uh, Northwestern Medicine Center. Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause. And then, of course, my favorite thing to do is get out there and talk to people, do things like podcasts with Andrea Darlis, <laughs> and, uh, and I am the author of a few books, including uh, my latest book, Sex Rx, Hormones, Health, and Your Best Sex Ever. We love having you on the show and on WGN Radio because, I mean, in, in so many ways, you're our medical expert. Um, I wanted to talk health and politics, and mm-hmm. I know as soon as people hear that, they're going to say, wait a minute, you can't mix health and politics. You absolutely should. Well, it's actually kind of interesting that I was tweeting. Yes, I tweet, and this does seem to be the way that we communicate now for everything, whether it That's is right. politics or health. And this was a few weeks ago, and one of my Twitter, tweeting followers, Uh um, tweeted back to me, Dr. Stryker, please don't tweet about politics, stick to health. And my response to her was, I wish I could. But unfortunately, it is our politicians that are setting health policies that impact on my ability to practice medicine. So while when I went to medical school and went down this road, I never looked at myself as someone who would be involved in politics, what I now really appreciate is that not only is it okay for doctors to be involved in politics, it is an obligation because we are not autonomous. We are not alone in this world in terms of determining what is best for our patients and in um, in conjunction with our patients deciding what's best for them. I mean, right. this should always be a conversation between a doctor and a patient and policy should not be set by our politicians. It's appropriate because you are deciding with your patient what care is best for them. And if there's limitations on what you can or can't practice or what you can or can't do, or perhaps even what they can or can't pay. That's right. It's going to impact you and your patient. That's right. And I never thought that I would be in a position to say to someone, okay, let's talk about contraception. And after we have the discussion about what someone's options are and what would be the safest and most appropriate contraception, we then have to have a discussion about are you even going to be able to get this kind of contraception based on what is going on in our country politically? And that's really frightening. What are your concerns with the incoming Trump administration's views of health, specifically women's health? Yeah, and you know, and I'm glad we're going to be talking specifically about women's health because obviously there are a lot of concerns and we can go a lot of different directions, but I am a women's health advocate. I am a gynecologist. So I am focusing on the specific impact to women. And there are three separate things that really might have a significant impact on day-to-day health decisions. And I think one of the things, just in general, when we talk about the impact of a new administration, it's always very kind of theoretical. But when it really comes down to is how is this going to affect me, me, my family, my daughters, my sisters, and so what I really want to talk about are the things that really are going to affect individual women. And number one, of course, is um, the potential repeal of the Affordable Care Act. And when we look at the Affordable Care Act, obviously there are many benefits for many people. Now, I want to come right out from the get-go because I know I could hear people out there already and, and saying, but what? But wait, there's all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of problems. 
Yes, of course there are all kinds of problems. It's not perfect. It has gotten better over time. It is the beginning of a long road of making health care affordable and excellent for all Americans because I do believe that health care is a right, not a privilege, for all Americans. And it is actually the best that we've ever had. And people always say, well, gee, what was wrong with what we had before? There were a lot of problems with what we had before, including a lot of uncovered and underinsured Americans. So I think before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, we really need to look at specifically what are the benefits. And let's start with the 20 million Americans Mm -hmm. who have coverage who otherwise would not have coverage. And until we have something else to put in place, which does no one has offered so far, we are looking at an enormous number of uncovered people. And I think the repercussions of that are pretty obvious for people who don't have insurance, who go without their well woman visits, who go without STD screening, um, all of all of those things. Of course, when catastrophic things happen, they have no coverage. Um, when people have to go to the emergency room because they don't have a doctor, they don't have insurance, and what that does to our system and the cost of our system. But I think when we look at Two of the things that have been huge for women is, is number one, covering women um, who, who uh, have um, uh, conditions that have been unable to get coverage before. And I see this every day. I have had women who it's as simple as an abnormal pap smear mm-hmm. and they can't get coverage. Women who have in the past had a medical problem, a medical complication, and they can't get coverage. Aside from having an already established condition, yeah. then we're looking at screening, which is the next the next thing. Right. You know, when we look at things like coverage of things, we always say in, in the medical world, and I think most people would agree with this, that we're far better off preventing disease than treating it once it occurs. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into things like screenings, as, uh, sexually transmitted infection screenings, uh, mammography, cancer screenings, all of these things. Things are things that for a lot of women they take for granted because they've always had that. But for the majority of Americans, that's not the case. And one of the things that I think shocks people is when I, when I talk about things like getting a pap test and going to your doctor and the statistic of how many women actually go mm-hmm. to a physician for well-woman care in this country is incredibly low. We're looking under 20%. So 80% of the population as it is doesn't go to the doctor. And, and why is that? Well, well, first of all, you know, people who have not had insurance, but also, you know, going to the doctor isn't easy. You got to right. take time off work. You've got to get transportation. Mm-hmm. You've got to sit in that waiting room. A lot of people think it's not important. So we already are struggling with a population that is not getting the kind of screening and the kind of care they should get. And then you put on top of that, if, um, the Affordable Care Act is repealed that those women who are getting screened and the ones that we hope to screen are just going to have yet another barrier. One of the um, uh, wonderful things about the Affordable Care Act is that women have been able to get a class of contraception called long-acting reversible contraception, LARC, mm-hmm. the most common of which are IUDs, intrauterine devices. And and this is arguably the best form of contraception available because it has the lowest failure rate, number one. Why does it have the lowest failure rate? Because it's not user dependent. If you look at something like birth control pills, which provides excellent contraception, but it depends on someone taking it at the same time every Every day. day, Most insurance companies only cover one month at a time, which doesn't sound like a barrier, but it is because if you are a student without a car and you have to get to the pharmacy every month, you're going to very often not get there on time. You're going to start your pill late. You might not get it. 
And so there is what we call the actual pregnancy rates on contraception and then the theoretical. Theoretical being if you take your pill at the same time every single day and you do it perfectly, you're going to have 98, you know, 99% success rate. Right. But that's not the real world. We know the real world, it's much lower than that for all of those reasons. So then you want to circle back to these long-acting um, contraceptions such as IUDs. It's set it and forget it. So this in and of itself has been an enormous, enormous impact mm-hmm. on unplanned pregnancies in this country. It is truly at an all-time low, and it is specifically because of the Affordable Care Act. And um, and we're terrified, we meaning gynecologists, women, people who care about women, that we are going to see a rise in unplanned pregnancies. Um, one of the facts I'm always throwing out there that is another one people don't believe, but if you can go right to the Guttmacher website and, and, and confirm what I'm saying, yeah. is that prior to this, and, and even still now, almost 50% of the pregnancies in this country are, are unplanned, not necessarily unwanted, a little different, unplanned, but unplanned. Right. Um, and of those unplanned pregnancies, almost 50% of them are not from no contraception. It is from failed contraception, meaning that the woman who became pregnant had been using some form of contraception that failed her, either the pill that was missed, um, the condom that slipped, right. something that, you know, just for whatever reason didn't work. So th- this notion that women that get pregnant, it's because they're irresponsible. Nothing could be further than the truth. What we are looking at is a huge, huge detriment to women's health, which brings me to the next topic, because what happens when you have an unplanned pregnancy? Well, there are a lot of consequences. First of all, we know that unplanned pregnancies are less likely to get early prenatal care. They are very often um, delivered to mothers who are Mm ill-equipped to have children. And then, of course, we are looking at the right to terminate a pregnancy. And this administration is also very adamant about their desire to remove that basic right from women, the right to choose. Now, one of the things that um, I'm on the the board of Personal PAC, which is an organization to help elect pro-choice individuals, and and one of the things that that we're talking about now that a lot of women are not aware of, and I wasn't aware of, is if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, we have something in Illinois called the trigger law. The trigger law means that if Roe is overturned immediately, one second later, we go back to the the pre-Roe law, which makes abortion illegal in Illinois. So so a lot of people think if Roe gets overturned, Illinois is a very pro-choice state and, you know, it might be a state-by-state thing, so we'll be okay because we're so pro-choice. And in fact, that's not the case. We have to first repeal the trigger law so that we have the ability to even look at making um, abortion in, in uh, Illinois safe and available for women. So you know, we we have a lot going on here, and I know we're kind of yeah. bouncing around a little bit, but these things are all intertwined. They are. That's why when you say health and politics, it's appropriate, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. You have to talk about this with your you doctor. You have to talk about it. And and every time that you talk to a woman who thinks that she's, you know, that's pregnant and has been exposed to the Zika virus, and she's saying, oh, my God, you know, I might be carrying a pregnancy that is highly, highly abnormal, incompatible with living a normal life, and I will not have the option of of terminating their pregnancy. And we're talking, you know, women who are victims of of rape, women who are victims of incest. These are the realities. You know, women who 
um, who have been exposed to medical illnesses, women who themselves may be very ill. You know, every obstetrician has had the situation of the woman with breast cancer that has to choose, do I take chemotherapy or do I terminate the pregnancy? I mean, the list is very long, and the point is, is that these are complex medical decisions which our politicians should not be um, should not be deciding for us. Let's circle back to Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Defunding Planned Parenthood. I know many, not all, many hear the term Planned Parenthood and think, oh, this is just, you know, a, an openly funded way to ha- for a woman to have an abortion. Let's clear up some of the myths about Planned well, Parenthood and talk about what defunding it would mean. Well, you know, when we talk about defunding Planned Parenthood, what we're really talking about is leaving women across the country without routine care. Yes, Planned Parenthood does provide abortion services. It is a teeny, teeny, teeny portion of the services they provide for women. And in fact, since the Hyde Amendment was um, passed, uh, you know, when was that? Many years ago, in 1976, um, no federal funding of any kind can be used for abortion care. So our tax dollars are not going to even the very, very small amount of abortions that Planned Parenthood is providing. So so what is Planned Parenthood providing? Well, let's talk about that. What we look at is uh, giving life-saving care, uh, cancer screenings like mammograms, pap tests. Um, we are looking at sexually transmitted infection screening, um, contraception, pregnancy tests, and counseling. I mentioned before that even if someone chooses to continue a pregnancy, um, they need to be supported in that, and they need to be given appropriate prenatal care and appropriate counseling. And Planned Parenthood does that. And in fact, one of the little-known facts is that Planned Parenthood partners with adoption agencies. Here in Chicago, they partner with the cradle. And if a woman goes to Planned Parenthood and has a pregnancy test for an unplanned pregnancy, she is given balanced unbiased counseling in terms of all of her options, whether it's to continue the pregnancy and, and, and keep the baby, to continue the pregnancy and place the baby for adoption, or to terminate a pregnancy. But she's really given very balanced um, information so that Planned Parenthood also enhances healthy pregnancies. So it, it's always kind of you know weird to me that people talk about, oh, Planned Parenthood you know kills babies or does abortions. And it's like, no, actually... It ensures that women have healthy pregnancies, which is what we want. It ensures that women have sexually transmitted infection screenings, that they have well women care. Mm -hmm. And when we look not only federally, but we look here in Illinois, um, and and we look at, at how many women in Illinois specifically would be, um, would be without, um, without care, well, we're looking at enormous numbers. Mm-hmm. We're looking at 400,000 wow. low-income Illinois women will lose their access to health care. Um, Planned Parenthood sites, which are across the state, are the sole uh, family planning and screening centers. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll hear people who are in favor of defunding Planned Parenthood and saying, oh, don't worry, we'll fund community health centers. Well, okay, that's very nice. It's a lovely thought. But where are those community health centers? Right. You know, certainly here in Chicago, we have some of them. If you are in downstate Illinois, Mm -hmm. if you are in western Illinois, these community health centers do not exist. So you're going to have huge populations of people who have no insurance coverage and no access to well-woman care. So I think we need to be realistic about about how this is going to impact the women, not only in this country, but also the women of Illinois. 
women basically should talk with their doctors. Be vocal about it. Mm -hmm. Too often, um, women kind of just sit back and, and let these things happen to them. And and I think one of the reasons why the Tea Party was so successful, and we know that they were so, so successful, is that it was a relatively very small fringe group that was very, very vocal. They talked to their elected officials. They made it known that uh, that they were going to be vocal and that they were going to impact uh, on someone getting elected. So it is not too soon to let your elected officials know, to let your senators know that this is not okay, that you're going to be watching them very closely in terms of how they respond. And so what they do is going to matter. Um, there's a march coming up, of course, the, the Million Women March, which is taking place in Washington and cities, including Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be there. Yes. Um, I'm going to be marching. I'm going to be marching with which large groups of women to say, yes, we care. Yes, this matters. And no, this is not okay. And if people want to get a hold of you, find out more information. Your website's great. My website is, is drstriker.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter. And you know what? If you want to say negative things about my comments, have at, doc- at it. At Dr. Stryker. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with <laughs> that I'll follow you back and as long I always say don't attack the person attack what they say right um, and at least and ha- you know what at least have the discussion with your doctor have the discussion talk have to your discussion. doctor um, and, and let's not be silent women were silent too long and uh, we look at our, our mothers and grandmothers and all the hard work they did and we certainly don't want to let that go to waste absolutely thank you Dr. Stryker thank you